Happy Easter. Once again, we are so glad that you are with us today, that we can be together even though we're not physically together. A special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here. I wanted to take a chance to just welcome you as well. I'm sure that there have been plenty of unusual Easter's over the years, but I have to say this has got to be up there in one of the top strangest Easter's since the first one at least. Because it sounds like at the very first Easter people were caught a little bit off guard. And I don't know about you, but I feel kind of caught off guard this Easter. And so maybe you're experiencing that with me. So I offered this community time question. What is one of your favorite films that you have watched in the past, or maybe what's a film that you've enjoyed recently? Given the circumstances, I bet some of you have had a little bit more time on your hands to watch some good movies, but I bet there's others of you who all that time went out the window because of crisis response or because you've got little kids that are at home 24-7. But when it comes to picking uh, favorite movies, I'm actually just terrible at this. I rarely watch any movie more than once. So some of you are thinking, how could you possibly do that? But I rarely watch any movie more than once because there are so many out there to be seen. I love a good story. And I could give you some favorites if I could have permission to have subcategories. So here's just like subcategories that come to mind right away. I think of nostalgic movies for me. That would totally be Princess Bride or The Goonies or The Sandlot, those kinds of things. Um, if I think of superhero movies, then definitely it's going to be Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, or Black Panther. I could go on and on with my subcategories, but I won't. But the breadth of storylines throughout the literary and film world is enormous, isn't it? It's almost endless in some ways, and it continues on. A great narrative has a storyline that grips us to the core. This year, we've been reading through the story of Jesus, one chapter at a time, and many of you have been doing that on your own. And then on Sundays, we've been going through each book, starting at the beginning of the New Testament, and we're going to go all the way through 2020. And we have been doing that week by week, and here we are, the very end of the book of John. If you let yourself just engage the narrative, the storyline of this story, you'll see that the story of Jesus has everything necessary for the recipe of a gripping tale. You've got people who are going about their daily life, and they're interrupted by something incredible, an unlikely hero with a team of unlikely sidekicks. You've got miracles and healings and people who are in need provided for and people who are in bondage set free. There's also, like any good story, warped power and trickery and manipulation by people who are out to get the hero, of course. And then here we are at the most climactic moment of the story. Many people are wondering if their unlikely hero, Jesus, truly is the king that is mighty to save. And if he is, this is great news because they have been going through significant hardship. The people in the ancient Near East in the first century, in the time of Jesus, their life was under the oppression of Rome. They had been stripped of their freedom. They had been taken advantage of. They'd been cheated. They'd been lied to. Jesus and his community had been going through so much. Leader after leader had suggested that they're going to be different, but it was just more of the same, more of the same. Power-hungry, selfish, tyrants, time and time again. The Roman rule had said that they were going to bring peace. It's called the Pax Romana. You may have heard of that when you are reading history in the history books. But the Pax Romana was anything but peaceful, unless you were the few people who had all the power and all the resources. Otherwise, you were giving up nearly all that you had to allow the resources to stay in the same hands of these people that it couldn't be trusted with. So you can see why the hope of a leader who could change all of that was very appealing to the people who are experiencing this story in the first century. But Jesus ends up 
going off script, all the scripts that these folks would have had in their minds, he goes off script. He wasn't going to be a military king who was going to conquer the bad guys with power and might and with a sword. He was going to go out of this world the same way that he came in. He was born as a human, a little baby, wrapped in cloth by two humble humans and laying in a manger. And then he leaves this earth wrapped in cloth by two humble humans and laid in a tomb. What an unusual plot twist. What a strange way to show your power and your strength. But that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was displaying his authority in a way that no one ever expected. And we know that this is true. We know that they didn't expect it because we have the story right here in the book of John, in the gospel of John, where Jesus is trying to get his friends to have at least just a basic understanding of the plan. But in their minds, the plan is so out of character for a rising powerful leader for all of them that they, they can't grasp it. Chapter 13 through 17 of John documents the last evening he spent with his closest friends, his disciples. And if you look at those chapters, it's nearly all Jesus speaking to them while they ask question after question, of course, because they're confused about what he's trying to prepare them for. But Jesus persists. He shares as much as he can. And so he's hoping that after the dust settles from all that's about to happen, that they are going to be able to carry out his mission that's been given to them. So I think the hope that Jesus has is that everything he said in this time, this night before he's going to go to his death, he's hoping that they can remember what he told them on this important night. So here we are, trying to follow Jesus, and we're 2,000 years later, and we're still looking back at these words of Jesus, and they still ring true for us today. And there is still some mystery. There's some adventure to the unknown. There's even maybe a little bit of confusion for some of us. Because we are still following this pretty unusual leader who doesn't follow the script, who doesn't follow the plot that any other leader has ever followed. And so today we're going to focus primarily on chapter 14. This is where we find this final I am statement of Jesus. We've learned about the other six, and now this is the seventh, okay? And so we're going to see who Jesus says he is as we've been looking through each of the I am statements. Who does Jesus say he is? And then what does that mean for who we truly are, how we understand ourselves and our identity. So Jesus says to his friends, in the midst of all that he says that last night, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Maybe some of you are like me, and if you have been a Jesus follower for a while, you know that verse, you know that phrase that Jesus has said, and you've hung on to that statement as a follower of Jesus, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think I was just thinking about it, and I think I know why it's such a meaningful phrase to some of us. I think it's because in life we so often feel like we don't know the way. We so often feel like we're just not sure what's actually true. And there's so many times in life where we say, oh, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing now. And if quarantine, <laughs> if going through this crisis of this global pandemic doesn't have you begging the question, there's got to be more to life than this, then I kind of think you're maybe not paying attention. <laughs> what Jesus is saying here about what his upside-down display of power is going to accomplish is incredible. What is he saying? And what does it mean for us today? Let me read the context of this I am statement in John 14. Like I said, Jesus says a lot here, but let's just take this little chunk and try to understand what he means by this powerful phrase. So if you have a Bible or an app with a Bible on it, you can grab it. We'll also have the text here for you on the screen. But leading up to this chapter, this is what's happening. 
Jesus has been trying to explain that he's going to die. He's been trying to tell his followers, his, his closest disciples, he's been trying to explain to them he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be taken captive, and that he is going to leave them for a while, but that he's coming back. He's trying to explain this to them. But you have to admit, that's a lot to take in. And so they're full of questions. So our passage today actually starts with exactly that, a question. So we're going to start in John 14, verse 5, and I'm going to read 5 through 7. Thomas, one of the disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He said, I'm going to go, but I'm going to come back. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So he's trying to explain this to them, and guess what? Another question. The questions still come. Continuing on in verse 8, Philip now says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, don't you know me Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. So here we have these questions coming at Jesus, and Jesus is trying so hard to make it as clear as he can. He's saying to Philip, I am God in the flesh. Philip, you've been with me for three years, buddy. <laughs> like, if, I, if you've seen me, you've seen God. But I don't blame Philip or any of the others in this time. They, they are trying to understand this idea of God becoming a human and then living this incredible story and this incredible life that Jesus did was so radical. The idea that God would want to come be with humans would have been incredibly radical at that time, and I still think it is today. It's also so mysterious, isn't it? Did you notice that these people are face-to-face -face with Jesus, but they still want more proof? Philip says, show us the Father. That will be enough for us, Philip says. But would it be enough, really? I can resonate with Philip. Whether you've been following Jesus for days or weeks or years or you're even contemplating if you can follow Jesus, there is still some desire, isn't there, to just have more evidence. I would just love some certainty. Wouldn't that be great in times of uncertainty? Of course. But Jesus responds to them and says that he's offering something different than certainty, something even better than certainty. Let's pick up the story again. I'll start again in verse 11. Jesus says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is a pretty powerful thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying some pretty awesome things, I think, in those few sentences. His followers will do everything that he did and even more. His followers have permission to use the authority in his name, the same authority that they saw him use to set people free, to provide for thousands of people, to heal the sick. There is this one thing that Jesus is saying that they will need to do, one thing. 
And if they do this one thing, then they will have all of this awesome promises that he has, that they will be able to do everything he did and more and join in what he's doing and have authority in the name of Jesus. But there's one thing that Jesus says that they will need to do. There's just this one thing, but it's, it's said four times in the passage that I just read. Here's a pro tip for you. Whenever you're reading something in the Bible and you see it repeated, it's probably the most important thing being said, okay? So Jesus says, you need to believe. You need to believe. Now, I, for one, will say, I think that's a tricky word for us, kind of, in this Western world. We tend to think of the word believe and define it as intellectually agreeing with something. But this word, pistuyo, in Greek, would be better translated as trust. Trust. Let's look at some of what Jesus is saying and swap in that translation for that word. Jesus says, you have been with me, Philip, all this time, but you still don't trust me. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you trust in me, you will do what I have done and more. And so now here we are on this side of the story. We're looking back on the story, and we can see how many of them were struggling to trust that night. We know that they struggled to trust because when the going got tough, a bunch of them got gone and hid and got out of there and couldn't be found because they were scared, because it was hard to trust. And it is hard to trust today. When you read all that Jesus says to his followers that night, uh, in those multiple chapters of the book of John. I, I want to try to do my best summary, okay? This is the Pastor Steph translation, the PST. This is what I think Jesus is trying to sum up everything he's saying to these important people in his life, hoping that they will hold on to this when all is said and done. I think what Jesus is trying to say to them is this. I am the way and the truth and the life. To experience what this means for you, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room you don't have to find certainty. You don't have to have all the right words to say. You don't have to get it all right all the time. You might still be afraid. You might still be unsure. You might not understand it all. You might still struggle with doubt. But here's the thing. If you want to join in all of what I'm doing now and all of what I will do, I'm begging you by repeating this over and over to trust me. Will you trust me? Trust that I am God. Trust that everything that I've said and commanded to you is because I love you and I want to lead you and I want you to be able to trust that when you are with me, you will have life to the full now, but also forever. But then Jesus offers one more critical, important gift to them, I would say. So let me read just two more verses that's just a little bit later in John 14. John 14, 25 through 27. Listen to what Jesus says to them. All this I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. Right? He's trying to get them to hold on to it. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Trust that I am God. Trust that I love you and I want to lead you. Trust that I came so that you can have life to the full and trust that I will never leave you alone. I'm sending my spirit to guide you and to give you peace. Earlier he called the spirit the spirit of truth. The, the spirit's going to give and lead into true peace, real peace. You notice he says, I don't give as the world gives because as the world gives is the lies of the Pax Romana. <laughs> The, the, the lies that you're going to experience peace even when you're clearly suffering. This is not 
what, this, what they were offering to them. It was a lie. The Pax Romana was telling them they were going to bring peace, but they were the ones causing the suffering. And here, in the midst of all of this, Jesus is saying that I don't give as the world gives. I give you peace in the midst of the circumstances, and I'm going to prove it by sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. The peace that comes from the assurance that no matter what, God is with us if we are just able to trust, if we just believe. So we have this ability to look back now on what all Jesus is saying here, and we have this greater understanding because we've got hindsight bias, as we sometimes say. And, and we can see that these folks, these nervous and confused people, were, were having a hard time, but we understand more of that now as we look back through the story. We look back through the story, through the cross, and we see that the cross is empty because Jesus was resurrected. We celebrate this on Easter. He came back to life. He conquered the power of death. We look back at the story and we look back through the gift of the Holy Spirit and everything that the Spirit did. The Spirit indeed did come and, it, and ignited this incredible movement that we call the mission of God through this messy group of people we call the church. So when we see these three powerful words of Jesus, the way he uses these three phrases to describe himself, we can engage with a depth of fullness of what this meant. I am the way the way to a relationship with God now and forever. I am the way to live out this life that you have. I am the way to experience life to the full. And even, I think Jesus shows us, I am the way I will show you how to suffer well. I am the truth. I am the truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit reminds us of the truth about who God is, about who we are, and about whose that we are. The truth that you are never alone. The truth that God promises to be our advocate. I am the life. Life to the full, like Jesus says in John 10.10, which is a life free from the bondage of sin and brokenness and the way that it defines us and it holds us back, that we can step by step become free from that, free from the things that get in between us and God and having a relationship with God, all of this brokenness in the world. We are able to have a life with purpose because we're invited to join in what God is doing all around us, the great things that were mentioned that we just read in John 14, and a life that can have the peace that Jesus offers even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of trial. The way, the truth, and the life. This is who Jesus is. So what does that mean for us? I've had hundreds of conversations over the last four weeks. It's actually really bizarre that I've had that many conversations. I've seen so few people, yet I think I've had an increased amount of deep conversations with others. That's just gone up significantly. So it's a kind of a strange reality. You might be having a different experience than that, but I'm sure your experience is no less bizarre than the experience that I'm having now. It's just bizarre in different ways. I feel kind of like I'm a character in the Brady Bunch with how many Zoom calls that I'm on, and I just have noticed that my personality was not made for little boxes on screens. It's really not working for me very well. And I also think maybe I'm like a character on the Groundhog Day movie because it's, I can't seem to keep on track with what day of the week it is. Maybe some of you can resonate with that. And I've also found myself daydreaming about maybe being in the movie The Matrix or a movie like Inception where I'm just going to wake up one day and realize this was all a dream or this wasn't real. There's something else actually going on. But I'm not a character in any of these stories, even if I wish I could be in some of them. In the hundreds of conversations that I've had, there's one theme that I keep hearing over and over. This is not the story that I want to be living right now. 
this is not the story that I want to be living right now. People say that in different words, but at the core, there's this resonating thought, this is not it. This is not the story I want to be living right now. So how does this epic storyline of Jesus that we've immersed ourselves in this year help us in this time? The many trials we face in our life coming from now until our, our future, there's going to be more. How does this storyline help us in the midst of all of this? I would say it comes down to a decision. It comes down to a decision. Will we let Jesus' storyline be the narrative that guides our stories? Will we let Jesus' storyline be the narrative that guides our stories? Because you know what? There's plenty of other options. As we said earlier, there's a lot of great narratives. Some of them are very appealing, especially right now. There's some narratives that we would all suggest we'd like to, to switch over and be in a different story. But let me just move over here for a minute and try to illustrate what I'm saying just a little bit deeper. So we've got this diagram here. And I'm going to try to explain what I'm drawing for anyone who can't actually see this visual. But when we think of all that we experience in a story, like maybe the movie or the film that you mentioned earlier, or the stories of our own lives, we typically think of highs and lows, don't we? And highs would be things like freedom, success, happiness, good fortune. And lows would be oppression and failure and heartache and bad fortune. And so we have this line down the middle, and the highs are above the line, and the lows are below the line. What is the storyline that many people resonate with? Now, I know not everyone's story is the same, and we do resonate with different stories, but in our dominant culture here in North America, I, I think that there's a, a way I could draw maybe the best case scenario that many people would agree with, whether you do or not. So here's what I think happens. You start usually kind of below the line. So we're starting somewhere like here. And we like to start below the line because everyone loves a rags to riches story, don't they? They love to see someone who's able to overcome. And so even though this character might have some ups and downs trying to get above the line, eventually through the hard work, through perseverance, through a little help from their friends, they make it past the line and they make it into the success category. And then they continue this upward climb in their life. Maybe there's a few setbacks, but generally speaking, they're up. Here's where they're headed, okay? Now, if this person, this ideal storyline person, were to have children, then of course, that, those children would start you know, somewhere around here. We want to make sure that they continue on in the story. They're not going to get left behind. They get to start here in the success category, of course. So, okay, this, in my opinion, is an ideal storyline that some people would suggest is an ideal storyline. Now, maybe you would or maybe you wouldn't. But I would say that many of us, if we're honest, this is what we hope for. This is maybe even what we pray for. And I don't think that we should be ashamed of that. But what happens when in our life this steady climb doesn't seem to pan out? Things don't seem to keep climbing up and up. In fact, things tend to plummet throughout our life, don't they? Isn't that more common for us? What does the storyline of Jesus look like in comparison to this ideal, so to speak? Let's try it. Jesus is born below the line, I think you could suggest. He's born to a poor family. Uh, in a no-name town, and they're young people. And so we see him start to actually make this kind of steady climb, don't we? He's starting to make it, and we know a little bit about his life, and then we hear about his ministry, of course. And as Jesus steps into ministry, all of a sudden it looks pretty successful. We're seeing some pretty big success points. He's able to feed thousands of people with just a prayer. Jesus is able to uh, heal hundreds of people as they come to him. 
Jesus is able to set people free and so on and so on and things seem to go up. Now, there are some people that are out to get him, of course. We know about that. So that's some minor setbacks. But then we come to the point in the story where it seems like the climb is just amazing, where Jesus is riding into Jerusalem like a king. Uh, People are actually taking their coats off and laying them on the ground so his donkey doesn't even have to touch the ground. Now, it's an odd choice for a noble steed. I get that. But you have to admit that this sounds like quite a bit of success at this point. Jesus is moving towards what we would suggest is freedom, success, maybe even happiness and good fortune. He's being showered upon this sense that he's powerful and that he's going to do something amazing. But what happens? Within days, Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is beaten. Jesus is taken, stripped of everything. Jesus plummets to the lowest low, to a depth that's unimaginable for most of us in our actual life. We know that's what we're celebrating in this time, that he came to this point where he gave up, we celebrated on Good Friday, his very life. Talk about a significant plummet to a deep place. This might be even considered the ultimate plummet of a storyline. But we know how the story continues. Three days later, the most amazing shift happens, and his resurrection, very quickly, right, we see in the resurrection that this amazing shift happens. Now the Spirit of God, after this, continues to be in the world, leading us and continuing this work of restoration that that began in this ultimate moment of resurrection. This is Jesus living into this life and continuing the work to love the world that God loves and that Jesus said God came to save because he loves this world. So let's get back to our question. Will you let Jesus' storyline be the narrative that guides your story? Because it looks pretty different than the one that we often hope for. But is there something greater to hope for if we find our stories in this storyline that Jesus lived. I believe Jesus says to each one of us, will you follow me? Will you take on this storyline, this way as your way? I am the way. Will you take on this way as your way? Will you let Jesus' storyline be the narrative that guides your story? If you allow Jesus' story to be the guiding narrative of your life, there is no doubt that Jesus understands what it's like to experience the the free fall into suffering, to experience the loneliness of betrayal, to experience the fragility of the human body, to feel the anguish of pain and agony, to understand the human experience in all its joys and all its sorrows. Will you take on the truth of a life that is sometimes full of suffering and heartache? But if you do, then you will also take on the story of resurrection, the story that says not even death has the final say, that anything that has been broken has the potential to be restored, even broken people like you and me. We get to live the storyline that sees restoration happening all around us now and complete resurrection someday forever. Jesus says, I am making all things new. Will you trust me? Trust that I am the way to God now and forever. Trust that I am the deepest truth that you could experience. Trust in me that if you live your life in my life, in my story, you will have life to the full. So the decision is yours today. Will you let Jesus' storyline be the narrative that guides your life? It just might be what we need to get through life's free falls, but also give us hope 
for glimpses of new life and resurrection now and complete resurrection in God's future. I'll be the first to admit that it's not always easy to trust. It's not always easy to believe. But the decision to try is the most important decision I've ever made in my life. This Easter is going to be a memorable one, right? There's no way that it's not going to be. It's going to be a memorable part of all of our stories no matter what, but it can also be an Easter where you remember saying to Jesus, if you are who you say you are, if you are the way and the truth and the life, then I want my story to follow your way. I want to live in your truth. I want to experience the full life that you have to offer me, even in the midst of the suffering and the pain. It's the most important decision that you could possibly make this Easter. And if you've never given over your story or your life to Jesus, and this might be the first time for you, this would be the most important Easter of your life. Life Life-changing decisions in the middle of a global pandemic, trusting the mystery of God who gave everything for you, letting the spirit of the living God right there into your house, seeing miracles of hope in the midst of dark times, joining in what God is doing even in the midst of a crisis. Now, that sounds to me like a good story. So let's join in. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Respondeu Jesus, Eu sou o caminho, a verdade e a vida. Ninguém vem ao Pai a não ser por mim. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus le dijo, Yo soy el camino, la verdad y la vida. Nadie puede llegar hasta el Padre si no es por mí. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Giovanni 14, Gesù gli disse, Io sono la via, la verità e la vita. Nessuno viene al Padre se non permesso di me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 